So, I say, it is really great to be here. I believe uh, last week's uh, outdoor activity was a bit cooler. And uh, so Cliffy tells me he put on his long johns under his jeans this morning. And he's been sweating ever since. So, if you see him starting to fade, please, some of the guys, just help him to the buses at the back there. Um, so, he can get rid of his long johns. Father, I want to ask this morning, please, in Jesus' name, that your word would impact us. I think of that truth uh, that Cliff read now, and we are under an open heaven, that who is worthy, who is worthy to open the scroll? And it says that there was one like the lion of the tribe of Judah, but on closer observation, that lion was a lamb that had been slain before the foundation of the world. And we want to thank you today, our God and our Father, that your son Jesus didn't come as a lion. He came as a lamb. He offered himself, according to the prophecy that we have from Isaiah, even being led uh, as a lamb to its slaughter, uh, and, uh, and not in any way uh, fighting or trying to get out of that. And yet he's coming as the lion, the lion of the tribe of Judah. He's coming as the resurrected, glorious King of kings and Lord of lords. And so I ask that you'd give us insight even this morning into this truth. I want to ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, I don't want to say funny enough, but when I woke this morning, I woke to Revelation 5. And... uh so I had to bring that into this word that I believe the Lord has for us. But I want to just firstly say thanks to uh, many of you who have been praying for Pam and for myself and for myself during this time. Um, in the natural, again, prognosis isn't good. Folks say, how are you feeling? I'm um, yeah. <laughs> and yesterday I went for a ride with Cliff and the guys. It was beautiful. Went round the back through the mountains, uh, and in a week's time we'll be in Durban, um, following uh, actually this coming week uh, going and weekend going with Andrew and a couple. We're looking at uh, planting into Bonnyvale, just this side of Swellendam. There are now 40 adults getting together there, a great group of folk um, who have been exposed to our values, our DNA. And there are at least another 40 waiting to see what's going to happen because very often their feeling is in small towns, you start something and then you pack up and you leave. Say, no, no, we we not like that. You know, we're starting not on preference, we're starting on conviction. We believe that this is a God God moment. And so uh, we'll be going, we'll be meeting with them and taking this couple that we believe is God's couple, a key couple a lead couple to lead that work um, in Bonnyvale. And so please, you can continue praying for that. The reason I'm sharing this is that, of course, when we get back, then I leave with Cliffy and the group, and we go to uh, Willamore, Oatsorn, George, Hottenbos, Mossel Bay, and then back again on the bikes. So I'm praying for strength for that as well. I said to Cliffy, it'll be a hangover thing if I go to be with the Lord, if I pass out on one of those passes, you know. <laughs> They say a whirlwind in a big way, you know. (laughs) 
but uh, really trusting for strength to be there to encourage God's church. I love the church. Um, I love the gospel. I want us just to see something uh, this morning, but I love the church. And Pam and I have been privileged uh, these last 10 years in bringing our last church plant into Josh Jen. And at that point in time, Mike Buffay slotted in and later slotted back out to Wellington. And uh, we've had guys uh, take over. Uh, we've seen what God has been doing. It's been a real privilege, but what it did was it released us more and more so that we could be involved in the local church uh, without carrying the full responsibility and yet also be involved in the church out in the nations. And uh, the Lord has uh, seen fit to use us um, and uh, many, many, many churches uh, where we've been involved and we've shared the values and the DNA that we hold dear. And I want you to know that uh, it's because of Josh Jen. Uh, having been planted, and I believe by God and by the Holy Spirit, uh, yeah, in, uh, in Cape Town, that we, uh, have as a result, uh, allowed it to be reproduced in the world. And, um, one of the first doors I'm hoping to have opened, so long as I've got strength, uh, for Pam and I to get into is to get back to Russia. There's a great move of God in Russia. And, uh, there are now these, I think it's 32 or, 34 churches uh, wanting me to come for a conference. <laughs> but but there's a move of God there. Uh, and, of course, up in uh, St. Petersburg amongst the students uh, as well. And so there, there's this that God is doing. And then, of course, also uh, it's been wonderful this last week to uh, be able to share with the, uh, the congregations, the churches uh, in Brazil and to see what God's doing there. Uh, and have them respond afterwards. And then there, there's another step that must take place into Indonesia with Darwin and Sylvie and Frankie, um, uh, with the other pastors. I think there are 37 churches now they want to participate with 412, um, which is wonderful. Of course, Joey in the evening, Kong, and um, uh, Lucas, uh, went over and they loved Lucas, they loved Joey and so we're looking at uh, the Lord through different ministry giftings uh, establishing these local churches and uh, the one thing I want to pick up this morning even for us and you need to massage it again and again uh, and uh, we sang it and I believe again that uh, we have uh, a lot of the truth concerning this in us but we find Paul, which I'll uh, just uh, draw reference to this morning, again and again comes back to the starting blocks. He comes back to the basics. And uh, we must never, ever lose sight of the basics. Uh, we dare not do that. Um, because if we lose sight of the basics, we lose sight of what Paul says we must hold fast to. And uh, if anything, I've entitled this word, when we understand the gospel... We'll understand God's salvation. But we need to understand the gospel. Very often we talk of a, a, a teaching meeting in the morning and then we have a gospel meeting in the evening. I mean, that I think is a gospel meeting. But I know what they're saying. Um, you know that uh, we, we're going to preach in such a way that it's going to be for the unsaved. And yet Paul says, when among you, I always preach Christ. 
all of his teaching, all of his uh, 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 meetings were Christocentric. Uh, he said, for me, uh, it's got to be Christ and him in the center, him crucified. And so if you go away and Christ wasn't brought into your meeting, there's a problem somewhere. Um, and this is why we find churches and we as Josh Jenners and the leadership in Josh Jen, uh, we, we have some great churches out there, but there's a problem. Because the churches aren't being identified as being Christ-centered. It's not Jesus in the middle. It's a hang of a lot of other stuff. And it's not bad stuff, and it's not wrong stuff. It's just not right stuff. And Paul says, no, no, no. You've got to make sure uh, that what God wants in the middle is in the middle. And so when we get to heaven, you know what's going to be in the middle? What God wants in the middle. And so the, the four and twenty elders are around what's in the middle. Who's in the middle? Jesus is in the middle. And God the Father's there and Jesus is on the right side. But when we understand the, the gospel, we'll understand this that's called God's salvation. And so Paul writes to the church at Rome in chapter 1 verse 16. And he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because it's the power. It's the power of God for salvation but then for everyone who believes. And uh, while the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they deal with the words and the works of Jesus in a wonderful way. We find that Paul's letters, mainly this letter to the church at Rome that we've, uh, we've just read, doesn't deal with the words and the works of Jesus. It deals with primarily his sacrificial death. And... Um, the thing that I've been focusing on more and more, and it's like that. When you get to a point where there are little buttons being uh, pressed physically and little uh, uh, lights come on uh, on your dashboard physically, uh, you're thinking a lot more in a certain eternal context than you were uh, when those lights weren't coming on. And so I don't expect you to think the way I think at this point in time. I expect you to fulfill what God said. I'm giving you things to enjoy, all good things to enjoy fully, says the Lord. But whether I eat, sleep, drink, or enjoy these things, that I'll do it in the strength of the Lord. So I said to Andrew, when you're out there, and Jesus, an unbelievable tube just, just folding and just wanting to caress you and take you under the lip. So that as you drop down and you do that bottom turn and you come up and you just run your fingers through the silver at the top. You don't have to get all religious. Just say, thank you, Jesus. Where's the next one? You know? So there's this. That's the reality. But yeah, in Paul's letters, there was something that he wanted to massage all the time. And it was the sacrificial death of Jesus. And Paul knew that because of mankind's sin, the innocent death of a defenseless then animal in the Old Testament. Defenseless animal. And the pouring out of its blood was essential to satisfy God's wrath. That's why Paul, when he writes in the New Testament, this satisfying God's wrath is called propitiation. It's a funny word. But, but Christ's death, uh, his uh, maltreatment, what they did to him, the horror of the crucifixion. And it's a strange truth. It satisfied the wrath of God toward us for our sin. So he had to do something, not only because there was a judgment that had to be dealt with uh, by him doing what we couldn't do for ourselves, 
through a substitutionary death, but God was offended. God's offended with sin. God can't handle sin. God can't accommodate sin. And so Jesus had to do something that propitiated the wrath of God towards us. He dealt with it. So Paul later says he took it and he wrapped it up and he nailed it to the cross. That is it. So he's, he's not angry with us anymore. Uh, he was angry until Christ dealt with that, uh, which we'll see in a moment, understanding this thing. And uh, what we find is that Paul knew that the gospel was an unfolding process throughout the Old Testament. It says, it's like they looked down a tunnel prophetically and they could see uh, like through a glass dimly. Uh, And they knew that there was the understanding of the Redeemer and that the Redeemer was coming as had been given to Israel as somebody who could buy back what they had to forfeit. We find that, as we know, in the book of Ruth, with um, when Naomi came back, there had to be somebody who in the family could buy that piece of land back for her, which she had to legally forfeit. And that somebody was called a redeemer, a goel. And so we find that when uh, 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 the prophets of old looked down the corridor of time, they could see this redeemer, but they didn't fully understand. It, it was like a, a shadow. Uh, but they knew that that's what it was. And uh, so we find that uh, Paul the Apostle, even up to the point when he lived, he was exposed to this that was called a mystery. And he mentions that in Ephesians, he mentions that in Colossians, that this mystery concerning salvation has become a reality to me. And he wanted to unpack it. And he calls this mystery, the unfolding of this mystery, the gospel. This is, this is this mystery, this, this thing that's been unpacked now. And so he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. We'll see why he says that in a moment. For it is the power of God unto salvation to all those who believe. And so this is why folk who sinned intentionally in the time of Paul and unintentionally would offer sacrifices daily. They would come to the temple. They would offer guilt offerings for unintentional sin and sin offerings for sin that they knew they had committed. But then once a year, a single sin offering would be made for the whole nation of Israel. And we know, some of us have read and studied it, it's called Yom Kippur. And Yom Kippur is the Day of Atonement. Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, is where started off Aaron would take a bull, sacrifice the bull for himself, shed its blood for himself, and for his sons who, who worked with him. Then they would get two goats and they would throw lots at Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. And the first lot, the, the lot would decide which goat uh, had to be uh, slain to appease the wrath of God, propitiation. Then, it was still happening then. Then the second goat uh, would be what they called the escape goat. And they would tie the red ribbon around its horns and around its neck there in the desert. And they would chase the second goat out into the desert to take the sins of Israel away. Yom Kippur, Day of Atonement. That's what's revealed to us in Leviticus 16. Paul the Apostle, he understood this. He was a Pharisee. He had studied it. Uh, This thing that substituted uh, the sin of the people. Uh, through the giving of, of, of these uh, two innocent 
little kids, these little lambs, uh, baby lambs. Uh, he was well schooled in that. And this is why he knew what was required <coughs> to uh, restore a man's relationship with God. And this is why the writer to the Hebrews in chapter 9.22 says, and this is important, we need to just allow this to become a reality because this has to do with the gospel. In Hebrews 9.22 it says, without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sin. That is in the New Testament. Now this is the problem. This is a problem to the Jews now. For without the shedding of they know Yom Kippur. They know Day of Atonement. They know that it transitioned over into the Passover, the Pascha, where that little lamb, the, the symbolic meaning of that lamb, the shedding of the blood, it covered us. Uh, it protected us. It provided for us. Uh, they knew this. But now it says in Hebrews 9, without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sin. And the truth of the shedding of innocent blood was the foundation upon which the gospel was established. God didn't uh, do something, uh, a little bit of something here and a little bit of something there. No, God, what God did uh, was he took what was in the old and he had to fulfill it in the new. He, 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 uh, he, he, he says, which you'll see in a moment in 1 Corinthians 15, that everything according to the gospel had to be fulfilled perfectly as it had been prophesied in the Old Testament. And so uh, this that had to do with the forgiving power uh, that uh, becomes a reality, it had to be in accordance with what was in the Old Testament. Now the problem is, in Hebrews 9, without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sin. In AD 70, there was a general, General Titus, who uh, nine years later became the emperor, uh, the, the Caesar of Rome. And uh, he destroyed the temple. And of course we know now that the Muslims have built their temple on the temple site. So when you go there, you see the dome, the dome of the rock, this big gold roof shines from far away. So now in our last trip to Israel, we saw this. But now the problem is the Jews can't sacrifice anymore. The Jews can't shed blood anymore. The Jews don't have a means for forgiveness anymore. Because without the shedding of blood, there's no Yom Kippur, there's no Day of Atonement, there's no Pascha. They know this. And so now they go to the wailing wall, and in their wailing they are trying to make their prayers sufficient for the gospel. No, prayers aren't sufficient for the gospel. Prayers have their own purpose. Blood has to be sufficient for the gospel. For without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sin. And you know, I was traveling in Seapoint, and I was quite busy, but I saw this old uh, Jewish lady, I knew she was Jewish, and a lot of Jewish folk in, in, in Seapoint, uh, wonderful people. And uh, she, was, she had all these packets, she was bent over, had all these packets of groceries she was carrying. Now from uh, a main road, I mean, Beach Road, Main Road, Main Road, up to High Level. She was walking up to High Level Road uh, with all these packets. So I pulled up, turned around, pulled up next to her, put her in the car, got the packets in. And uh, she still spoke like a, a Hebrew lady. So I don't know how long she had been in South Africa. So I gave her a lift up this road. I don't know how she would have got up that road. But I thought, I'm going to go slowly up this road <laughs> so that I can share with her the reality of Leviticus 16, Yom Kippur. 
And, you know, I said, do you understand the Bible? She said, no, she's quite well versed in Scripture. So then I said, how does this thing work that without a temple, without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sin? How do you as a nation get acceptance to God where there's no blood? Because everything is established on blood. Even circumcision in the Old Testament was established on blood. How do you get past this? And uh, she just broke down and started crying. And it was really near to where I was going to drop off. And took hold of my, my arm. And she said to me, all I can do is hope. Goodbye. You know, I thought, that is heartbreaking. You know, she, she didn't understand the transition that had taken place. Because she had been blinded by the enemy. So just quickly, let's just come back to this Romans 1.16. I, I can't do it justice, but I just want to pick up on two points. Paul says here, firstly, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now the gospel, the word is the euangelion. The word euangelion means good news. That's why you can go to Kum books and some of the Bibles are called good news Bibles. And that's the right word. It's good news, the euangelion. It's the gospel if it's a New Testament. And uh, we find in Luke 2.10, when the angel came to the shepherds, it was just one angel initially, and then the whole crowd of them arrived. Uh, I don't know why they weren't there in the first place. But I think the one did his job. He frightened the life into those shepherds, so it says. But the angel said to them, fear not, I bring you good tidings. I bring you the euangelion. I'm bringing you good news of somebody who's going to reconcile, restore. Somebody who's going to make the impossible possible. Good news. I want to say good news, folks, is good news, not bad news. Now, good news is good news. You know, and this, this that God brought was good news. And Paul was telling both the Greek and the Jewish believers, they were a mixed group, mainly Gentiles in Rome, that he wasn't ashamed of the gospel. Because in that day, folk, many were ashamed of the gospel. They were embarrassed because many misunderstood it. So much so that it caused them to lose their social status. And you know, it's like that today too. You know, you're not really on the inn. If in the middle of that serious, disgusting joke, you say, gee, God, I just want to tell you what I had in my quiet time this morning. Hey, it doesn't go down well. But there's something that they fail to understand that is more than that. And many fail to understand then and today that when you're in Christ, and I want you to know this. This is why Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Because Paul was always embedded relationally in Christ. It wasn't that Christ was uh, 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 prominent in his life. No, he says in Colossians 1 uh, verse 18, Christ is not prominent in my life. He's preeminent. It's not that he's right up there with the others. No, where he is, there's nothing else. That when I, when I do something, when I speak, when I live, when I eat, when I enjoy sport, when I, I'm always aware of something bigger than me that I'm part of. I'm aware of Christ in me, the hope of glory. That's Josh Jen. That's what was on the heart of Andrew. That's why he wanted to establish a church that is different to other churches. That we don't come and put our bum on a seat on a Sunday morning. Now that we are Monday to Monday, Christ in me, the hope of glory. And I want to say, folks, this that caused embarrassment was a little bit of this and a little bit of that. And, and uh, 
you know, I'll be what I need to be. And uh, when we get together on a Sunday, we run around on the walls shouting at the enemy. And then we sulk out somewhere and get back into the shadows for the rest of the week. No, we're not like that. Now, we, we want to live out authentic New Testament Christianity. Paul says, for me, it's authentic or nothing. He says, this is what I used to be like. I was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He says, oh, I want you to know that I had the full package. But when I compare to being in Christ, I consider it as rubbish, as dung, uh, as something of refuse. There's no comparison. What I've got now makes the union buildings look like a hot dog stand. We need to understand that. There's something in Christ. I, I'm not expecting you to understand it the way I do now. Or to want to embrace it the way I want to now. Or to be as zealous as, as I want to be now. And yet I know God wants you to be. Even for the young people, he says, in your youth serve God zealously. <clears throat> you know, it's a wonderful truth that. And so, this truth of, uh, of many failing to understand... That when you're in Christ, when you're walking and talking with God through each day. It's not, oh, I've had my quiet time. Finished my Bible reading and my prayer. Yes, I prayed quite a lot this morning. <laughs> okay, let me get into the day now. No, it says pray without ceasing. You see something, praying to it. You experience something, praying to it. Uh, you know, you go into the store. You know, guys, those magazines have got the plastic on. I don't know, yeah, they've got plastic on, you know. Some of them I see have got little tears in the corners. Like somebody wants to see what's in there, but maybe they were disturbed. Now, whatever I'm involved in, uh, I, I, I want to be involved in walking and talking with God through each day. That was Paul. It says, when you're confessing your sin, the minute you're convicted, when you're full of the power of God, when you're controlled by the Holy Spirit's presence, when you're feasting on God's word daily. This was a wonderful passage uh, yeah, in Revelation 5 and 7. About the lamb and the lion. You know, he, he, he's so magnificent. How can you be a lamb and a lion? How can you be water and a fire? How can you be the beginning and the end? I mean, he's all together. He's everything. But it's to fulfill specific purposes in God. When you're living a life that's not consumed with what you own or what you wear. Now, we were part of New Covenant Ministries International. Now, I want you to know it's been a long time since I've been on a surfboard. I mean, a long time. Last time I went out was nearly 20 years ago, young dad is steering with my son before he went to be with the Lord. But you know, one of the guys came up and it was this uh, zigzag mag, uh, surfing mag, then, and he said, you know, you don't ever wear surfing clover. I said, is there something wrong with my clover? I said, this shirt... And my other 20 shirts like this, they're usually black. But the blue one was on top this morning. <laughs> I buy them at Woolworths. And I like them because they don't smell under the arms, funny enough. I don't know why. And they wear well. Sometimes I run out so nobody knows that I wore this one yesterday. And the guy says, yeah, 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 yeah. And his set of clobber was about then. When Andrew and I were part of that team, New Covenant Ministries, he said his cover must have been close to 3,000 rand, and he had very little on. I mean, yuck. So he said, well, 
why, why don't you wear surfing stuff, you know? I said, well, maybe it's because I surfed. <laughs> Look at me. I said, I'm not a wannabe. I said, sometimes guys get all the stuff on, eh? And they sit what we call on Grammy's Hill. And when you sit on Grammy's Hill, you've never surfed. The grommets. And they, they pick up the language. I mean, dropping in and slapping the lip and bottom turning and, you know, and the rails and the thickness and the this and the, hey, you know. You don't know. They go to the pub afterwards. We used to have a little pub in East London. That's in the Hoon Reef. And there we'd have beers and that afterwards. These oaks would talk as though they're the world champions. But the problem is they're not living the life. And sometimes within the context of the church, Paul, this is what Paul's getting at. He's saying that we're mixing and mingling. So much so that we can, we can walk the talk, but we're not walking the walk. Nobody knows. He says, no, not for me. For me, it's the real thing. And very often, I want to say, there's a fear that I've got to give something up to become. Now, when you like this, when you're in relationship with Jesus Christ, when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, when you're confessing your sin regularly, and you're not allowing it to go, you won't be ashamed of the gospel. Because let me tell you this, you'll give up nothing. You'll give nothing up. It will give you up. I stayed in this house with a group of other guys who loved surfing, and we used to race motorcycles every weekend. And if we weren't racing, they'd do enduro in the mountains. And the day, 31st of October 1975, when I came into a relationship with Jesus Christ, um, my whole life changed. But I didn't change moving out the house. I want you to know, the Saturday night parties was like pick and pay parking. I mean, we had all the young people from East London there. That was the spot. And I was the guy, you know, I mean... (laughs) Oh, yeah, anyway. Um, but the thing was, I can remember one evening they were telling this joke, and I started to read the Bible. Something had happened. God had impacted my life. And uh, they all had their pints, and I got saved progressively. And I had my pint. Nothing wrong with a pint, but then it was a problem. And I walked into the circle, and they were telling a cooker of a joke. And the guy stopped. He just looked at me. He said, won't you go somewhere? I said, you're out of your mind. What do you want me to go somewhere for? I said, why do you want me to go? He said, you just make us feel uncomfortable. Eventually, I had to move out of that house. Why? I didn't give them up. They gave me up. And it says, and darkness doesn't like light. Because it exposes what's done in the dark. That's what John says in John chapter 3. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I can't now be one, half for one and, and half a dozen for the other, just so that I can have the benefits of what's out there. He said, no, for me, it's everything or nothing. I understand this, that for me to be reconciled, there had to be the shedding of blood. And you know, it's so important. Now, I just want to jump very quickly down, and it says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, because he says this, for it is the power that God uses to secure our salvation. What is this power? Well, the Bible says it's the, the gospel that's the power. And the gospel is, as I've said, God's good news. The gospel is tied up so well in John 3, 16. It says, for God 
Amen. For God, that's the gospel. Armed for argument. Ready for rhetoric. Loaded for logic. But you've got no defense against love. I wasn't a lovely person. I wasn't a loving person. I used to go get tanked up on weekends and smoke the stuff, as I said, from Butterworth Hills, you know. I mean, it made, it made the little fox terrier think he was a Rottweiler. And so I was very lean. Pam will tell you, I had a 29-inch waist when I got married, and I kept pulling my pants up at our wedding. I mean, I was like this, believe it or not. I know, I know, but I was. And um, I used to go down after a night out, 1 o'clock in the morning, to the windmill outside East London, down on the eastern beach. And I should look for the biggest guy, because now you've got all this energy. Look for the biggest guy there, and they made fantastic bean soup. And uh, in the winter, and then as a guy would drink it, if he's right-handed, you stand on this side, left-handed, you stand on this, then you'd bump him as he drinks it. But it must be a nice big guy. And then, of course, you end up expending all that energy, and you can go to bed and go to sleep. But this night, there was this colossal guy. I mean, he looked like, you know, one of those Romans out of Asterix. <laughs> Without the armor. I went up to him and I bumped him as he lifted up his, his, uh, his bean soup. He said, I'll tell you something. I said, tell me. He said, I want you to know. Jesus loves you. You know, I nearly died there. My grandmother loved Jesus. How can you fight with your grandmother? I mean, the love of God. The gospel is the love of God. For God so loved the world. It says he drew us with cords of love. Oh, we need to understand that. It says it's the power. It's the power of God. God's power to break into our lives isn't manipulative. It isn't uh, uh, something that is exhaustive. Uh, in, in, in the power context of, of, uh, of, um, energy, it's love. It's love. The gospel is the love of God that's experienced through faith in a living and ongoing relationship with a person. The gospel is a person. It's the love of God. It's a person. You know, I, uh, I've come to realize that this thing of love, you can't have love. Love isn't love to stay. Love isn't love till you give it away. And and that's how it is. For out of your belly, when you fill yourself with him, he wants to flow. He wants to go. And uh, I love what Jesus says in John 5, verse 39, where the Jewish believers are pressing into him because they were rational and clinical and objective. And now here comes Jesus, totally subjective and existential and, and, and wanting to interact uh, personally. And uh, they say, but our scripture says, he says, let me tell you something. You search the scriptures because in them you think there's the gospel. In them you think there's life. In them you think there's God's provision. I am the gospel. I am the way, the truth, and the life. It's all there to bring you to me. To bring you to me. It's the gospel. And you know I love being with people who are full of God. I love spending time with people like that. Because sooner or later, they're going to drip the love of God. Sooner or later, they're going to speak life. Sooner or later, they're going to speak hope. 
It's wonderful. It's as if they're energized by the power of God to live a life for his glory. I'll close with this. My last trip to uh, to Russia, I met with a guy who's got a very large church there. His name's Pavel, Russian for Paul. His wife, Marina. And while chatting, I said to him, you aren't perhaps in any way aware of the guy that came here many, many years ago who was called Brother Andrew also known as God's smuggler and used to smuggle the Bibles into Russia he looked at me I said the reason I ask is because these two I see funny enough was also Pavel you know he just looked at me and his wife you know sometimes wives you know the husband doesn't want to say anything but wives you know, we got a friends, Rose and Duncan. They live, maybe he was on staff in Josh Jen for a while. Live over on the other side in the south uh, of Cape Town. When I met him, I said to him, Duncan Barson. I said, you know, I had a hero when I was a young guy doing motocross. His name was Duncan Barson. I never met him. He said he won the roof of Africa twice. They said to me, oh, very humble girl, Duncan. Oh, his, Rose, his wife, couldn't handle it. She said, it's him, man, it's him. <laughs> and it was like, <laughs> I said, hey, Duncan, I'm not worthy, you know. Um, but this wife, that's, she said, it's him. This is Pavel. And I said to him, so I ask you something. As an unsaved young man in the city hall in East London, I was taken by a friend to go listen to this guy, God smuggler, who smuggled the Bibles in to Russia. And he showed us the barbed wire marks on his chest where they used to tie him tight with barbed wire and then the KGB and then stick a hosepipe in his mouth and blow him up with water and then kick the water out of him. So he had all these barbed wire marks. I said, but he told a story. I sort of know if it's authentic or if it was exaggerated a bit. And it was about this drunken young soldier who found you guys where you were meeting in the, in the forest with all the snow. And uh, you were in this little hut thing. And he burst in with some other soldiers. And uh, he tore the wooden cross off the wall and he put it at the door and you had to leave and spit on the cross. And he sat there looking at me, this Pavel. And I said, and he, he told the story that uh, the people would go out. Maybe they thought better to be a living dog than a dead lion. And so they spat on the cross as they left. Till this little girl went out. She went down. She wiped the spit off this wooden cross. And she said, Father, please forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And I said, he told us that this drunken young lieutenant took out his pistol and shot her in the back of the head. And then all the other people rushed back into this little room, fell on her, and asked them to shoot them too. And asked God for forgiveness. You 
nice response to me was, there were a few of them. Unheard of. Don't know their names. There were a few of them. You know, I believe there are men and women here in Josh Jen. You've got a real desire for the things of God. The gospel is precious to you. But there's a world out there that needs to be exposed to that same truth. See, when that guy said to me, Jesus loves you. I mean, it was like a sword going into me. I didn't know how to accommodate I believe somewhere, somehow that stayed in my subconscious, instrumental in bringing me later through to the Lord. And I want to say to you that these 1,000, more than 1,400 churches that we've got here in the city, 1,400 churches, and we're one of the most violent cities in the world, 1,400 churches, We've got the color of the rainbow that marks us as a city that has now become the capital in that area. I'm thinking if there are 1,400 churches, how can this be? I'll tell you why. Because Jesus isn't preeminent. Because there are people who are ashamed of the gospel. There are people who mix and that Paul said, no, 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 for me, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. For me, it's the power of God through salvation. I want to say that Pam and I counted a privilege to be part of Josh Jen. We counted a privilege. We thank God for bringing us from where we were and after those five church plants, bringing us in amongst Josh Jenners. There's something we picked up right from the beginning. We said, you know, these people, they're some of them. There are people here who have a desire for the things of God. People here who don't want to compromise. The people, nevertheless, who are living impactful lives. And when others are with them, they find that they've got to give them up. Because there's just so much on your life. And so Paul says to some, you'll be dead. But to others, he says, you'll be alive. You'll be alive. I thank God for hundreds of people. Sam and I have the privilege of being alive. Not everybody. Only if you die our heads together before the Lord. I just want to ask as our heads are bowed that you would allow the Spirit of God to speak into your own heart, into your own life, right now. Father, I want to thank you for each individual here. I thank you, Lord, that the gospel is the power that you've used the love of God, the lamb, the lamb, it's the lamb, the lamb slain before the foundations of the world, the gospel. Your love, you showed your love and you've drawn us with that love. Lord, I ask that we show that same love to the world. Your son Jesus said, if we do this, others will know that we belong to you. If we love each other and love the world, others will know that we understand the gospel. That that is the power of our God unto salvation. Even to those who believe. So I want to ask precious Holy Spirit that you would release your presence in amongst us. 
increasingly so. That we will be a people who know that the gospel is epitomized in the man, Christ Jesus. That's why we want to remain in him. We want to abide in him. We want to cherish him. We want to be secured by him. I want to ask if you are here today and you've never made a commitment to Jesus Christ. Not in this way. Maybe you've had lots of pleasure but you haven't known peace. And I long for peace. Weekend by weekend by weekend I long for peace as a young man. And I only found that when I met Jesus Christ who scripture says is the Prince of Peace. If you're here today and I want to put this offer out to you. Says I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God unto salvation to anyone who believes. And if you hear this morning and you say, I believe, well, I believe, I believe what you said. I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I believe that He did live and die. I believe that His blood was shed once and for all. That there needn't be any more animal sacrifice because He was the Lamb of God. That He fulfilled all of that which was in the Old Testament. I want his peace. I want his rest. I want to come into this relationship with him that you speak of. So with our heads bowed, if there's anybody here and you haven't made that commitment, I just want to pray for you this morning before I leave to go. There's no need for anybody to look around. If you do know Jesus Christ in this way, you have made a commitment to him. Um, At some point in your life, you can ask the Lord right now, to do the same in somebody else's life who maybe is young and hasn't made that commitment. So please, if you haven't, I'd love to pray with you uh, right now for you. I'm not going to be asking you to come up to the front, but if you are young and you haven't made that commitment, please, I want to ask that you don't go home without allowing God to reveal His peace and His promise of salvation to you. If, you, if there is somebody, why don't you raise your hand just so I can see it and pray for you. Is there somebody here this morning? You need to raise it up so I can see it. Is there somebody here? Is there anybody here? Otherwise, I must accept that you all know the Lord, that you are in a relationship with the Lord. You're going on with the Lord. You cherish all that God is doing in and through you. Is there anybody else here this morning? And as our heads are bowed, maybe in your own life, Christ hasn't been uh, preeminent. Maybe he's been prominent, but somewhere, somehow, this thing has slipped by. And it says he's given us his Holy Spirit as the utter bomb and engagement ring. But my life hasn't always shown people that I'm engaged to the King of Kings one day to enter into his presence, into the marriage feast of the Lamb. That they haven't seen clearly his Holy Spirit, who is that engagement ring in my life. He's saying this morning, Lord, I want to ask that you would fill me afresh. Lord, I want to come to you. I want to resubmit my life to you. Dear God, I want you to be preeminent in all things, whatever I'm doing, that people will know that I'm yours, Lord. 
And if that's you, I want to ask you if you just raise your hand. I want to pray for you too this morning. God bless you. God bless you. Shall we all stand? being here with you. I'm looking forward to hearing stories before I go. I only hear stories when I get there. And then you arrive on that day. And then we're all there. The Lord says, okay, Cliffy, you can come up here. I want to tell the whole world about you. And no, 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 no. I want to hear stories before I go. Um, and so, Father, I do. I pray for each one of us here today. I want to ask that your your Holy Spirit would fill us, energize us, excite us, Lord. I thank you for the presence of children here today. Thank you that we can model lives that our children, when they're seeing us, will say, I want, I want the relationship my mom and dad has with Jesus Christ. I want the relationship that my grandfather and granny has with Jesus Christ. I want what they've got. Father, let it be also in the world that people will see something in us, even in the midst of all that's happening, that will create a hunger in them. Like it says in the Old Testament, that they clung, even up to 12, to the robe, to the garments, and said, we're going to go with you to the house of the Lord. So we commit this to you now. We as God's people say, Amen. 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 God bless you. Thank you, Cliffy.